Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin, and I'm joined by my deputy, Jonathan Davis. Hi, Paul. Today, we've got an interview with two members of the Association for the Improvement of American Infrastructure. The organisation is a membership body that is solely dedicated to moving P3s forward and strengthening American infrastructure. And we're joined by Director of Communications, Carol Todd, and Thomas Sherman, Director of the AIAI's Public Sector Initiatives and Programming. So, hi, Carol. Hi, Thomas. Good to have you with us. Hey. Hey, how are you doing? Thank you for having us. So, to start things off, obviously, skills are a big issue at the moment, and particularly as the IIJA, other federal government interventions begin to ramp up, hopefully, the number of projects will start to come through ramping up as well. So, you at the AIAI, I know, have been doing some work in this area. Could you perhaps start by talking about your certification program? Yeah, no worries. Well, so AIAI a few years ago went on this uh, amazing journey to try and understand how to better educate the public owner on the art of alternative delivery. So last year, they started putting the the building box in place and we kicked it off in February in the P3C conference in Dallas, the very first cohort of the AIAI certification program. So the program is a 12-month program. It is made up of eight modules. There is an elective month where the students can go through and pick out one or two different type of electives. They're mainly geared around the sort of asset classes, asset types, delivery models, trucking revenue, things of that nature. And then there is a final exam that they must take, which is a pass-fail, that allows them to walk out in Dallas in 2024. So it's a very intense training it is once a month. There is also a secondary class for those that want to retake the class. It's four hours, and it is co-presented or co-delivered by some of the amazing AIAR members as well. Great. Thank you. So how has that been received by the industry? And can you maybe tell me a bit more about what you're planning in the future as well in this area. Yeah, it's been really well received by the public sector so far. There's a huge interest in it. A lot of people telling us that they need this education to be able to understand what they're doing in their pursuit of project delivery. And we're also planning in the future to open up to the private side as well so that we can pretty much educate the entire P3 sector in the United States. And I think that that's exactly where, where the program is going. And if you look at back at the genesis, we were looking at trying to walk out 25 public sector folks. We were going to consider that a success. But as we started to ramp this up and the excitement that was coming out of the public sector when we kicked this up in Dallas, it, it's grown from, from a class of around 24, 25, and now we're ex- well exceeding 50. So the adoption of, of this as a certification, a, an industry-led uh, certification is fantastic right now. That's great. That's really exciting, isn't it? And I think, I mean, that falls on really to what I was going to ask next, really, is about how you see in the market more generally this sense that there is a need for more upskilling. And do you see that, you know, there's an issue around ensuring the skills are there to keep pace with demand as, you know, hopefully the pipeline grows? Oh, most definitely. And I think that's that's the public sector dilemma is how do they build up that capacity? How do they train staff in, in this very specific area? And I think... When everyone is looking at the certification program, they're looking at that as, as the way of the future. They're, they're looking at it as the capacity building. But also, not only from the public sector side, the, the private sector is looking at this now as a way to be able to train up their junior staff, to be able to get them ramped up so they can handle 
the flood of projects that are going to be coming down from the IIJA and other sources of funding, trying to be able to get those staff ready to go. So I think that's there's definitely going to be a continuous demand here. And as Carol mentioned earlier, that we've already got a wait list from the private sector for us to be able to roll out the certification. We've also got quite a large growing wait list for cohort number two from the public sector side. So there is definitely rapid ad- adoption of the AIAI certification program. Yeah, yeah that's, that's really exciting for the future. And brings us on really, I guess, to the question around project pipelines and the sort of not just the capacity in the market, but also the, the number of projects that are coming through. And obviously you with the AIAI have quite a good vantage point being able to, to look down across the country in terms of what's going on and what your members are doing and how the members are, your members are seeing the market. So what is your sense, really, of the progress that we're seeing across the US at the moment? There's definitely a lot of interest in the, in the pipeline. So, what every, so if you take the certification, we've got over 50 individuals in the cohort. Every single one in the cohort is probably working on one, two, maybe even three different types of projects that could potentially choose the P3 delivery model as the chosen way to be able to deliver that critical asset. And one of the big things we teach inside the piece of certification is that P3 is not for every project, nor is traditional delivery for every project. So as we're going through this, I think we're going to see a lot more projects become better thought out as they enter the market. They might be going as the traditional route, the old DBs and DBBs, or they might be going DBF01. But I'm, I'm seeing a huge trend and in in a huge focus on DBF and DBOM as well. Because IIJA has replaced a large part of the need in some cases, not all cases, in some cases, very isolated, where where the F is no longer needed because they do have that that access to the IIJA now. But it doesn't mean that the P3 cannot flourish in that way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, you guys also you know, attend lots of the different conferences around the country. You see what is being discussed, which areas are of interest. Just wondering... Yeah. Which sectors you see as being the ones that people are sort of showing a lot of interest in now? Or is it, you know, really across the board? I guess social infrastructure is big right now. And also uh, people are looking at like the more technologically based P3s, mm-hmm. such as like broadband and electrification, that kind of thing. We're seeing this huge rise in the social P3s that are coming out. But also one of the things that we've got to keep in mind with those social P3s is that they're anywhere from 20 to 50 to 60 to $75 million in size. They aren't the big transportation, mega infrastructure that we're accustomed over the last, say, 10 years. And so we're seeing this really rise in what I would say the smaller P3s as we come in. And I think that's going to allow us to really explore the possibilities of being able to bundle, get more projects done within a single procurement. And that's, that's where I'm really seeing a lot of the market developing, especially out of the certification a lot of the, the folks there are focused on that social community infrastructure. Not to say that we, we have a lot of DOTs, the, the traditional transportation P3 folks in there, and they're, they're, they're still trucking along with, with mega multi-hundred million dollar P3 ambitions. Yeah, and it's, it's becoming more diversified, isn't it? I guess as well, you know, many of your members will be in the investor community and they perhaps want to see that greater diversification really for their, their own portfolios, don't they? Exactly. And what I'm also seeing is that the teams that are being put together to pursue these P3 projects, they're becoming more diverse there as well. I'm seeing a lot more technology-based companies slip into the to the JV mixes here or the pursuit team mixes, which is very, very interesting because as, as we have this, 
this evolution in technology that Carol alluded to, it, it's definitely taking off. It really is. And I think the technology is going to be one that's going to drive more efficiency, especially in the O&M. We're seeing a lot of that in the smart buildings that are being put together and the adaptive technologies on the transportation space as well. Yes, and smart infrastructure has been long a, a buzzword, hasn't it? But whether it's sort of translated into an awful lot of real projects is, is another question. But as you say, with more and more teams being put together with that sort of element in mind, I guess we are going to see more of that kind of project coming forward as well. We're also seeing more interest in the private sector technology companies who want to join AI, AI, maybe promote themselves in that area. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really exciting time, isn't it? That there is a market here that is expanding all the time rather than we're not just talking about the same people in the same companies over and over again. Or the same projects. Indeed, yes, yeah. Yeah, good to see, obviously, as the, the projects expand and diversify. And as Thomas, you were saying, you know, about the focus on maybe more social infrastructure being smaller, scale. Actually, those projects are important because they can be done at pace as well, probably more than a you know a large transportation, however many hundred million plus project can be done. So actually having those smaller projects feeding the pipeline constantly is, is really important for a healthy industry, really, isn't it? Yeah. Almost definitely. Most definitely. And I guess one other area, actually, that is... I guess really a blend of those different sectors we've just talked about, but transit-oriented developments, TODs, we've seen those sort of bubbling up again. They seem to be a buzzword that you know comes around every so often. Sometimes you go to a conference and everyone's talking about TODs as the next big thing, and then you go to another conference and you don't hear about them at all. But I do think, you know, given the changes that the IIJA made to TIFIA, that in terms of the, the potential for TODs, I think there's a lot of potential there for them to to develop and, and to have some more of these around the country. Is that something that you're sort of seeing as well? Yeah, inside the certification, there is quite a few of the students that have what I would say some sort of quasi-TOD development. I'm seeing it more as a as an attachment or an add-on or a complementer to a much broader project. But yeah, no, we are definitely seeing that, that TOD inside the classroom and the general discussion around connectivity of those different assets, especially if you're looking at three or four different types of social projects and you're looking at bundling them, I think a TOD or some sort of transit, microtransit as a complementer to be able to connect all those those assets together, all those projects together is, is definitely something that's being talked about inside the classroom. But also we're looking at the TOD more so on the education space when we're talking about large campus development, being able to put in some sort of transit localized transit there or, or education or university-based transit from that perspective. So that's where I'm seeing a lot of the conversations in the classroom. But yeah, definitely TOD just does ebbs and flows because it, I think it's a tough nut to crack from the financing. Yes, and it's another one of those, isn't it? But you know, we've just sort of talked about the different teams being put together and all sorts of things. And I guess TOD, again, brings a whole range of expertise that's needed from different people in different areas of business and real estate as well coming into a lot more than you know your typical traditional p3 well, most definitely and it'll be interesting where tod goes within the current economic cycle as well because i think it does definitely follow real estate development and large community expansions i think that's that's definitely where the tod really fits into the puzzle yeah okay and then we've talked a bit about obviously the impact of federal government 
interventions, IIJA, etc. But then key to all of this really is the way in which states implement P3 agendas and provide the legislation and the legislative landscape for P3s to be a success. So as you look across the different states, how do you view this sort of legislative landscape? I know a lot, a lot of authorities, a lot of states have been doing quite a lot of updating, changing their legislation over the past few months to really sort of embed P3, I think, in a lot of cases. So yeah, I just want to get a sense of how you see things developing. Well, that's actually an interesting question, Paul, because from my perspective, coming from, say, Virginia, we had pretty broad enabling legislation that was pretty flexible for us. Inside the classroom, there is a mix of those that do have flexible P3 legislation, and there's others that don't currently have P3 legislation, but are wanting to get ready as they push their legislators to be able to allow them to, to move beyond the traditional procurement methods and potentially into a, say, the project development agreement realm or things of that nature. And so I think the key ingredient for successful P3 legislation is always going to be flexibility. You need flexibility to be able to, to explore all the different types of delivery methods. But I think also another key ingredient inside a successful P3 is being able to run those value for money calculations and make them public so people understand that the P3 delivery model is the one that's going to deliver the best value over the life cycle of that asset. That's a big one. But the great work that AIAI is doing through the different subcommittees that we have and the, the members the members that we have there as well, pushing and advising on some fantastic legislation and, and some of those constraint states. And from your point of view, then, what would you say are the, the key ingredients, really, for successful P3 legislation? Successful ingredient. There's just not one piece of successful ingredient there that, that would make legislation go. But I think I'm just going to go back and say it has to be flexible. It has to allow that broad investigation into that P3. And and I think if you look at some of the, the states that have got some fantastic legislation, say Virginia, for instance, what makes Virginia successful is the flexibility in its legislation to be able to execute a myriad of different procurement options uh, within the alternative delivery realm. And obviously, you know, what is right for one state won't necessarily be right for another, will it, I guess? No, that's it. It, it. You've just got to play the politics at the end of the day because legislation in the day is you've got to try and get it through the legislator. But it comes down to education. Before you go put that, that, that legislation, I think it really comes down to education, getting people understanding what is alternative delivery. And I think that's where AIA does a fantastic job in not only supporting the public own, but also supporting the delegates and legislators on understanding what is a P3. A few folks inside the certification program have said, Thomas, at some point, like AIA needs to come in and talk to the legislature. Right? And that's because they they want AIA to be able to come in and say and help lay some bedrock on why why P3 legislation is important and what can you achieve with that legislation. P3 is not privatization. That's the elephant in the room that we always got to dance around. It's like when nothing's getting privatized here. This is um, private participation, public assets, you own this at the end of the day. And what you're looking at is trying to be able to offset those long-term life cycle costs, transfer some of those risks. And when, you, when AIA is able to sit down and, and talk to these legislators, talk to the, the, um, the decision makers, the, the light bulb starts to turn on. And I think that's the fantastic work that, that AIA does every day. AIAI has, like we said, the certification program, but it's only part of our overall education program for the public sector. It's called P3 Direct. 
And like I said, not only do we provide this P3 certification, but we we we'll do fly-ins, we'll 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 host webinars, we'll even have one-on-ones where our in all of these situations, it's our members uh, taking their expertise and their experience and lessons learned and best practices out there to the public sector and really kick-starting what, what can potentially be successful projects. And that's the key, isn't it? There's the lessons learned. If, if you've never done a P3 before, you're, you've got this, this preconception that P3 is privatization, it's a windfall for the private sector. You don't know what you don't know, Paul. And I think that, that but when you when we're able to sit down in front of these these key decision makers and these legislators and educate them on the power of P3, only then do they really start to understand that we can get a lot more done with a lot less. Yeah, as you say, education is, a, is such a big, crucial part, isn't it, of it? And, you know, that last point in terms of you know, using the experience that is in the industry and is in the country now, I think you know, the fact that there are several projects out there, more than several projects out there now that are, you know, have gone through procurement and they're in operation and delivering on the kind of promises that they made at the outset. I think that's obviously going to be a key thing, you know, going forward to to actually build that pipeline as people are able to point to examples of where this P3 thing has worked and is working and continues to provide the solutions that, as I say, were sort of put at the outset. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And even if there's not a good good US example, there's some fantastic European and, and, and Asian examples of where P3s have, have worked and been very, very successful. And, and I think being able to call on the, the global knowledge of the AIM members is also a strong benefit. Yes, yeah, definitely. And I think speaking of those wider international experiences, obviously I'm sitting here in the UK, we have plenty of examples of, of PVP projects. The ones that have gone wrong tend to be the ones that hit the headlines that everyone knows about, and that obviously builds in preconceptions. But it's some of the work that we've been doing actually at P3 Bulletin over the last few months is to showcase some of the, the better projects and you know highlight those that are doing well and, and actually you know explain where the benefits are coming from and really underline that those benefits probably wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the private sector's involvement. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. And the, and the other thing too is that coming out of the cert, inside the certification and all that, we'll get asked, Thomas, do you have a good example or, uh, or does AIA have a great example of a water facility with line replacements and XYZ attached to it? And there's always going to be a nuance, remember, because if you've seen one P3, you've seen only one P3. So there's always little nuances to it. And and the good thing about AIA and, and the deep membership that it has is that we can do a call to the members. Like, does, has anyone seen this type of project in the US or globally? And, and, and it's amazing the depth of knowledge that the AIA member base has. So we can, we can rise to the occasion very, very quickly and be able to pro- provide these public sector owners with, with real-life examples. But not, not only that, we can put the AIA members in front of the owners and say, hey, this is, this is what worked, this is what didn't. So that's part of that additional education as well that we're able to provide with AIA. Yeah, and that's great. Well, thank you very much, Carol and Thomas, for your time. It's been a really good, interesting conversation, skipping around the P3 landscape in the US and um, obviously the, those critical elements of, of education and exploring the, the possibilities that are out there, you know, really kind of disseminating that information. It's a key part of making sure that this industry is able to survive and thrive, I guess. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much. Have a great one. So, Jonathan, what did you think of that? I thought that was a great look at kind of where 
the industry is going to be in the next couple of years. Right now, there's lots of kind of you know machinations about is this the right time to be doing projects, the inflation stifling things. But what we're seeing here is the real seeds that are being put in the ground for the next generation of public sector procurers, perhaps public sector champions of projects that are going to be the ones driving the pipeline. So to hear a little bit about their first steps, I think, is really insightful. And what I mean by saying in a couple of years is that this is just the first instance of their training program. And I think when Tom said it was originally going to be 25 and now they've got 50. So that's to double that on the first go, I think is such a positive thing for the industry to be able to note that they're in all different kinds of sectors, but they're willing to look at the model. And I think that was the effect of what IIJA was supposed to do was to just legitimize P3s and alternate delivery and to get the public sector interested and wanting to help learn and maybe upskill and just potentially use it. You don't have to use it, but just to be able to consider it properly. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other important point there is that it wasn't just the public sector that they were talking about, was it? They said, you know, they've had quite a lot of interest from their members in the private sector. And that is really interesting, I think, and really positive for the market, that, that there is that recognition that private sector need more expertise too. And you know, this will help, won't it? it? As you say, for the market in a few years' time, you've not just got the public sector who've come through this training program and have the skills to be champions. You've got the private sector who have the people within their ranks to be able to provide the competition you know across a range of projects yeah and i think the fact that it were both of those groups the public and the private sector those people taking the first steps into their kind of alternate delivery world will be learning from the same organization who are non-profit but will be able to install you know the, the right language that people can communicate together because sometimes You do see the private sector and the public sector just looking at things differently. But if they're starting from the same points and maybe understanding what best practice is and looking at the same kind of case studies for what is the right kind of communication between parties and how collaboration works, I think that can only be a a benefit for the industry. Yes, and I think what we talked in the last podcast about that need for more expertise across the divide of public and private, really. And the work that, that's going on will hopefully help with that and yeah, create a, a much more sustainable market in the long term. Yeah, totally. And I think just, you know, before we move on from new entrants, I thought it was a really fascinating thing to see how some of these new entrants are like tech companies and new industries that could come and join and help enhance and widen the scope of what P3s can deliver. And We've seen things like, I think you said in the podcast, smart infrastructure has been bandied around quite a lot and it's been a bit of a buzzword. But we've seen tenders recently where authorities want to really upgrade their smart infrastructure. We're starting to come into focus of what that really is. And then having these people join and just being able to give their expertise in those conversations. And I think I think that is another really fundamental piece, particularly with the green conversation, which is you can't move for people talking about net zero and transition. But without having those entrants there, not everyone's around the table. So I think 
the fact that they're seeing that upskill and, and join, I think, is really positive. Yeah, I think that, that's a good sign of a healthy market, isn't it? If you've got lots of different people coming in from different places and wanting to be involved. So that, that's really positive. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, the other thing I thought was interesting was, I think Tom said at one point, they were kickstarting the industry, but with international lessons. And one of the real strong emphases around the world has been bundling. So to see that in the US, I think is a fascinating insight. We've seen, I mean, we're yet to really see it take off on on a big scale. A lot, we see a lot of unique projects like your courthouses and stuff, but to see bundling of perhaps schools come through, Canada's done it, new projects, changing scene, but with the strong emphasis of lessons learned from abroad and lessons learned inside the States as well, it feels like there's some real key like fundamental points that are being done to take advantage of this unique moment. It's not just being left to pan out by itself. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, isn't it, how things come around in terms of trends and that sort of thing. But we saw a good few years ago now, March 2015, in fact, it was that PennDOT signed their first Bridges P3 program, which was a bundle of 558 structurally deficient bridges across the state. And I remember the fuss around that when that signed and the people who were involved in that were kind of on every panel for the next year or more talking about how they'd structured the deal, talking about the importance of bundling and how they'd done it. And it seemed at that point that everyone wanted to talk about bundling and that was going to be the future. But we didn't see it take off. Mm. And I guess in there, there's a, something around as well, the fact that you know, we're seeing now much more interest in the smaller scale project. So maybe it was deemed that actually 500 and odd bridges across a state at a huge cost is quite a big risk to take. So maybe that's where things started to kind of falter. But as you say, yeah, we're seeing seeing bundling come back as an idea. But I think often, rather than along the lines of that kind of PennDOT example, we're seeing it come in smaller bundles. So things like Prince George's County, it's a bundle of a small number of schools. And, you know, you say examples from around the world, you know, Ireland have done quite a few different bundling projects around schools and around some healthcare and student accommodation, that kind of thing. So I think, yeah, you can see how that mindset is now taking hold again. Yeah, particularly as the social sector, which Tom and Carol said they're seeing really coming into favour in the P3 industry, really does lend itself to bundling and can help reach that critical capacity that is needed for a P3 to actually start being value for money. So for me, it was a really positive forecast of the role that P3s or the growth that P3s are likely to see in the future. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually you can add one more thing in there around transit-oriented developments, which we talked a little bit about, because in a way, they are by their nature kind of bundling often because they'll be bringing in different elements, some, some housing, some retail based around a transit hub. So I guess, yeah, that's potentially is the way the market is moving to more models where you see lots of different elements coming being brought into one thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for that, Paul. And thank you to Tom and Carol. And thank you, listeners.